This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 290 of The Bugle, the audio newspaper for a visual world that has charted the evolution of the planet Earth and its most famous species, human being, since 2007. I'm Andy Zaltzman, reporting to you from Hamilton, New Zealand. If New York is the city that never sleeps, then Hamilton is the town that never fully wakes up, occasionally mumbles something incoherent, and then just starts snoring and dribbling again. But from that city, that never sleeps, and isn't doing itself any long-term good by not getting at least three or four hours a night of downtime. It can't last New York, you're not Margaret Thatcher. It's the one-man espresso shot that keeps that sleepless city at least partly functional. It's the comedic caffeine, the satirical stimulants, the jolting Java himself, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. You're back upside down again, Andy. You've been right side, yep. upside down. Right side, upside down. You've been like an egg timer. A human egg timer. <laughs> Can I put that on my poster? A human egg timer. <laughs> What was it like having blood in your head again? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, it's uh, I don't know why. You know, just simply being in the southern hemisphere is worth any psychotropic drug that you could care to name. So, so which, which games are you watching down there now? Well, today I've been to New Zealand versus Bangladesh, mm-hmm. um, uh, which obviously is a rivalry as old as time itself. I tell you what, I won't be watching John, and that is any England matches <laughs> because England have been humiliatingly knocked out in what is not only probably the low point in English cricket history, but possibly the low point in the history of British civilization. We have been knocked out of a World Cup of a sport we invented, uh, which we didn't spread to too many places to make sure we could always at least get to the quarter-final. We have failed to get to the quarter-final, John. We, we lost to Bangladesh and everyone else by humiliating margins, although today we did beat Afghanistan in a glorious victory over a nation that didn't play cricket 15 years ago. Uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard, t- dark times, John. Dark, dark times. Like you say, we invented, we invented the game, Andy. We should just take all the equipment with us so that there's nothing for them to play with in yeah. the quarterfinals. Wickets were our idea. Yeah. Stumps are our... <laughs> we have the intellectual property over stumps and balls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like America losing to another nation at unnecessary spying on its own citizens. It is that bad, John. It is that bad. Tomorrow I get a train to Wellington uh, at, the, uh, at the the southern tip of the North Island. I've got uh, my gigs there on Sunday. Still a few tickets available um, for the 6pm show, uh, as there are for Adelaide on the 21st as there are in considerable numbers for these slightly over-ambitious second extra shows in Sydney on the 25th and Melbourne on the 27th. Details at satiristforhire.com. On my train journey, John, I will pass through some classic New Zealand towns, including Pukin in a car, uh, call you a packet of Nuzi, uh, Belch, and Wyoming well, eating a Ghoulie. So it's going to be a fascinating journey through the beautiful island. And there's some big news uh, here in New Zealand this week, John. The government has just announced plans to flight the Kiwi, the notoriously flightless national bird of New Zealand. Uh, the government's announced plans to affix 20% of all Kiwis to drones to give them the chance to feel what it's like to be a real bird. Uh, Prime Minister John Key explained, after everything the Kiwi has done for New Zealand in terms of our global brand, we thought it was time to give something back. 
and it's symbolic. If the Kiwi can literally fly, that sends a message that any New Zealander can metaphorically fly before he returned to dyeing his hair and being accused of having different coloured pubes by op opposing politicians. That's what New Zealand is, John. It is politicians suggesting in Parliament that the collars do not match the cuffs. That is, that is the height of politics in this glorious nation. Uh, this is Bugle 290. We've now done the same number of bugles as the record number of consecutive screwed-up bits of paper thrown into a waste bin by a world leader in his or her office, recently broken by the Norwegian Prime Minister Erna Solberg, who got bored just because she has absolutely nothing to f***ing do as Prime Minister of Norway, breaking the record set by the notoriously indecisive President Franklin Pierce of the USA in 1856 when he was trying to write a speech about ducks to give it a new Washington bird sanctuary. Uh, we're recording on uh, Friday the 13th, um, and, well, I mean, this is a high-risk bugle, John, to be recording on this most unlucky of all days. Did you know that more people are likely to die on Friday the 13th this year than died on any Friday the 13th in the 19th century? <laughs> that cannot be coincidence. The power of this day is getting greater and greater. Here's an extraordinary quote from Donald Dossie, the founder of the Stress Management Centre and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina. Talking about Friday the 13th, it's been estimated... That's 800 or $900 million is lost in business every Friday the 13th because people will not fly or do the business they would normally do. That's, that's a lot of money, John. And you wonder why people do not respect America as a nation anymore. It's not the decades of dubious foreign policy interventions and economic prong-plonking. It is the fact that Friday the 13th costs America almost a billion dollars every time it happens. Of course it's not an unlucky day. It's just hocus-pocus bullshit. It's just a normal... Ah! 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 Shit, I've just electrocuted myself on a grape. Ah, maybe there's something in it. Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a free massage. We're not actually giving you a free massage, but we will advise you on where you can get one. This week, just lean on the rumbling engine of a bus in a traffic jam. That section, in the bin. Top story this week. The lost art of letter writing has been found. Now will someone please lose it again? It's the Bugle Letter Roundup. <laughs> Andy, there, there are so many forms of letter writing, love letters, ransom letters, letters of complaint and resignation, letters written in calligraphy, green ink, blood, or just from letters of the alphabet cut out of magazines. Humanity has truly mastered the art of physical correspondence. And of course, once you've mastered something, there's no greater thrill than completely destroying it. And let's begin with the fact that <laughs> this week saw a spectacular letter written from Senator Tom Cotton and co-signed by 46 fellow Republican senators to the leaders of Iran. And if you're thinking, oh, why the f*** are they trying to strike up a pen pal relationship with the regime they claim to despise? <laughs> that is an entirely fair question. Uh, the letter seemed to be designed <laughs> to undermine the White House in their current nuclear negotiations with Iran. But I cannot, for the life of me, see... Who thought this would be a good idea, why they thought it was a good idea, or what the f*** they were thinking about when they were thinking it would be a good idea? Uh, because the tone in this letter lies somewhere between conspiratorial and breathtakingly patronising. At one point, they suggest that Iran's leaders may not fully understand our constitutional system. They then attempt to describe that system 
but in doing so, don't get things completely right. Uh, they claim in the letter that the, the Senate ratifies treaties, but that's not in fact true. Members give advice and consent, but the President signs off. Now, that's a minor point, but it's the kind of minor point you really want to get right when you're lecturing foreign governments about constitutional intricacies. Uh, it's also a bit presumptuous to assume that the Iranian President would not understand the concept of term limits, especially because the Iranian President is himself term limited. That's that's like trying to explain to a tortoise what living inside a shell is like. <laughs> uh, Iran has been uh, reacting unimpressively uh, to, uh, to the letter. Uh, its supreme leader hit back at the Republican senators, claiming he was worried because the United States was known for, quotes, backstabbing. And I think what this letter shows, John, is America's not just known for backstabbing. It is built into its very constitutional framework. And what the Republicans seem to be doing here is not merely stabbing Obama in the back, but stabbing him in the back whilst leaning round the front and saying to his face, I am stabbing you in the back. It is truly extraordinary politics. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, the ultimate authority on all Iranian matters of state, that is one catchy tagline, uh, said, um, added uh, at a meeting, that uh, whenever negotiations uh, made progress, uh, the Americans became like a pair of 1920s underpants. So he didn't actually say that. He used the words harsher, tougher and coarser. Uh, Some very old Spanish letter news now, and the Spanish government has ruled that a letter written by Christopher Columbus to his son in 1498 cannot leave Spain. The aristocratic Alba dynasty uh, has been trying to sell the document to uh, raise money for its vast collections of old shit, but the court has ruled it cannot leave Spain, if only they'd done the same with Columbus himself in 1492. The world might be a very different place today. It'd be very different for you, John. You'd be hosting a TV show in Madrid. Uh, The letter has been valued at £15 million. There are rumours that Real Madrid are interested in purchasing the letter for £35 million. Not entirely clear how they're going to use the letter, but I'm sure they'll find a spot for it. But the the Cultural Ministry have blocked the sale of the letter because the letter is, quote, an intrinsic part of Spain's national heritage. But it's very hard to quantify these things, John. I mean, if the letter was sold, no doubt there would be people across the notoriously tasty nation stumbling to work, thinking, oh no, the House of Alba has sold that letter. It now has only 20 of its 21 letters written by Columbus left. (laughs) I just don't know who the f*** I am anymore. Am I Spanish? What is Spain? Why am I eating so many little things on plates when I could be eating two or three big things on one big plate, like everyone else? I just don't feel the urge anymore to writhe around in tomatoes, let alone go to ball to death in front of a crowd. What am I doing on this planet? Sure, I'll still chuck a donkey off a church if it needs doing, but I'll give the failed horse a parachute. The useless beast has suffers enough, suffered enough, and I just don't know what Spain means. Uh, Columbus, of course, one of the defining figures in Spanish history, although he was, of course, Italian, who uh, explored for Team Spain on a big money contract that really didn't help young Spanish explorers coming through to uh, to get into the top jobs. Uh, and it's very much like modern-day British football, but more so, and for a discernible purpose. At the same time, John, once you open that dam, that cultural dam, and let things leave, where will it end? Once the dam is open, as the old saying goes, all the dolphins are going to swim through it to freedom. And if Spain flogs off Chrissy Columbus's letter to his son... Where will it end? Within a few years, they will have flogged off the Alhambra to Dubai, and Pedro Almodovar will be making tourism adverts 
for Abu Dhabi. And we have very much the same problem in Britain. We have to fight to hang on to our great pieces of cultural heritage. The Parthenon marbles, Leonardo da Vinci's The Virgin of the Rocks, the Royal Koh-i-Noor diamond still adorning the Queen Mother's crown long after the Queen Mother herself ceased adorning the concept of being alive. All these things of crucial importance to our national identity, more so than, for example, the railways, the energy sector, the media and airports. I mean, that, I mean we, we can do without them, but we cannot do without a stolen diamond in a dead woman's hat without losing our entire concept of Britishness. Uh, the late Duchess of Alba uh, owned vast amounts of uh, things like this, uh, John, including an art collection, including paintings by uh, Frankie the Palette Man Goya, and Diego Velasquez, the golden easel himself. A first edition of Don Quixote by Mickey Cervantes, the self-styled Danielle Steele of early 17th century Spanish literature. Christopher Columbus's first map of America, and the last will and testament of Ferdinand the Catholic. Well, that is a real showstopper at uh, dinner parties. He was the father of Catherine the Arrogant, or as Henry VIII came to know her, Cranky Kate. So she owned all these things, John, this duchess. She must have been f***ing hard to buy Christmas presents for. A coffee table book of pictures of the Earth from space. Whoopee f***ing shit did he do? I've got Columbus's first map of America. I think I'll look at that instead. Stick it on the pile with the book of classic motorbikes you got me last year that I haven't read because I've been too busy telling everyone that my copy of Don Quixote is 400 f***ing years old, which coincidentally is the same number of f***ing years since Mickey Cervantes wrote the f***ing thing. Next, oh, a novelty apron with the body of Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man on it. I'm pretty sure I own the original of that. Maybe I don't on reflection. I cannot remember because I'm too busy looking at all my Velasquezes. Oh, look, that's a good one. He was really f***ing good at painting. It's time now for a Bugle Q&A. Once again, you've sent in your questions on Twitter, uh, and we've set ourselves up very much as your satirical, political, personal agony aunts, a a role we've been really destined for ever since birth. And um, some very, very searching questions came in, including this from uh, at Dan J. Webster, who asks, What is the appropriate number of kitchens to have in your house? Should I feel kitchen envy that I only have the one? Well, that that really depends. That depends what century you're in, doesn't it? Really, you know, if you if you're going to take the Downton Abbey approach to that, then you need multiple kitchens to separate the class contained in the house. So, it, it depends whether you live in a classless society or not. You very much need big kitchen for the peasants to service you in, and uh, you know, luxury kitchen upstairs, basically ornamental. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in many ways it's good to have this kind of uh, envy. Because envy is very much the piston engine of capitalism. Without us thinking, I want that shit, we would all grind to a, to a steaming halt. Um, this came in from at Come On Ace, who asks, John, if you were to rank global leaders on the basis of the likelihood that Vladimir Putin will assassinate them, who do you think would be at number one? Well, I think anyone in Ukraine really has a, should have a justified sense of panic whenever they hear a Russian accent on the TV phone or especially in the room. <laughs> yeah, they, they do have to be pretty high up, uh, high up this, unless he just gets a bit creative and just tests the water by you know, bumping off the president of Burundi or something just to see what he can get away with. I think a possibility is that he might assassinate himself just to see how he reacts to it. I feel he might be reaching that level of boredom with his own provocations. Um, this came from The Metal Hipster. Uh, it's a very uh, very important question, this. Uh, you might be able to answer it, John. The question is, what is the circumference of Andy Zaltzman's head? 
it's, I'm not sure it's ever been circumnavigated, has it, Andy? You, <laughs> you need a you need a 13th century Spaniard in a wooden ship to do it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure you can measure it anyway, John. They can't measure the circumference of my head. It's not a distance; it's a concept. <laughs> you, can, you can feel it. You cannot. You can't. You cannot put a numerical value on the circumference of my head. And I resent the implication that you even think it's possible. The metal hipster, uh, John. This comes from at Tim Lawrence, who asks: Will you appear in the televised leaders' debates? And if not, why not? Which televised? What's he talking about? Well, well, in the the run up to uh, the uh, general election in the the country that you used to be uh, a citizen oh, of many, oh, many that, years that, ago. That place, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, I'm, I'll happily appear. Can I, can I do a song in the middle of it? <laughs> Well, I think, I think I might spice, spice things up a bit. I mean, you, you've got a lot of influence in television these days. I think, you know, if David Cameron won't appear on it, you could appear as his official spokesman. <laughs> I think, it, um, that, in fact, that could win the election for the Tories, I think. Um, Tim also asks, uh, could sledging the opposition in pun form improve the England cricket team's results? Well... Because, well, for, for those, for, the, for non-cricket aficionados, sledging is the noble art of abusing the living f- out of opposition players in an attempt to distract them and make them fail. Um, well, th- sure, but, you know, sledging in that sense and sledging in the other sense might improve it as well. You know, sledge getting a <laughs> sledge and hurtling down a hill and trying to smash into the opposition. Anything would improve the England cricket team's performance, wouldn't it? Self-harm would improve it. Eating a pizza would improve it. Yes. I'm not sure anything can make it worse. <laughs> No, that is nothing could make it worse, John. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you're right. We are good at sledging. The Lizzie Arnold recently won a world championship in uh, in the skeleton. So we are literally better at sledging. Um, this uh, came in from Roars, who asked, "Will the bugle be sued by Marvin Gaye's estate?" Uh, John, John did once on the bugle sing, "Let's get it on." So um, I don't remember that particular one, but I do tend to blank these things out for psychological purposes. Well, I'm guessing they won't because, you know, unlike Pharrell, I sang a Marvin Gaye song and I think probably attributed it to Marvin Gaye or at the very least didn't claim that I'd written it. <laughs> so I think, I think that's probably the legal <laughs> distinction there. That is, a, that is the absolute key difference. That also with, with Blurred Lines, obviously big in the news... This week, they actually copied the video as well from the original video of Perry Como's Magic Moments, which featured nude women and a stuffed dead sheep. So, of course, it was a 1950, so it was never fully broadcast. Um, Death to the West asks, uh, that's a, a striking Twitter handle, how can I convert my friends and family to communism? <laughs> well, you know, there's, uh, there's some historical lessons there. Um, usually that's... Yep. Uh, probably suppressing your friends and family violently um, over a series of decades. Yeah, it's not really converting them, it's forcing yep. them. That's that's really how it works. And then seizing yep. their property from them in the uh, under the guise of collectivising. I mean, there is, there is a blueprint, yep. but it does involve a lot of blood. <laughs> Alternatively, you could just get them a job in 1950s Hollywood and they will automatically become communists. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably just quicker. the way it worked in those days. <laughs> Does that still happen, John? When you've, you've spent a bit of time in uh, 
in showbiz land oh, sure. the, over in LA. If, I mean, yeah, if that's you, right. Uh, if, if you fit yourself, if you say no to any notes that anyone gives you, they'll say, "What are you, a communist?" With a glint in their eye. Caroline James asks, "I've got an ice skating date tomorrow. What should I wear to look attractive whilst minimising my chances of breaking a bone?" Now, that's, that's a very—I mean, it's a tough question. That I mean, uh, that's a strange date. Yeah. For me, the ice skating date. Um, I mean, sequins. It, I mean, is, a, uh, a suit of armour. Yeah, a sequin suit of armour. D- <laughs> there simply are not enough sequin suits of armour in today's ice skating world. I mean, the, the great thing is, you know, it's got it's a talking point on a date. You know, why are you wearing a sequin suit of armour? I'm just trying to impress you. I mean, that has to. That's an icebreaker. I mean, literally an icebreaker. <laughs> Uh, and also, it does also depend on how attractive you are to start with, I guess. Whether you want to go with a full medieval helmet or not. But anyway, best of luck. Do do report back on whether your ice skating date in a full suit of armour <coughs> proves romantically successful. Um, uh, this one comes from uh, the real S. O'Neill, who asks, "Can dogs look up? Can dogs look up? Did that? What was, the, yeah. what, what was that question? Can dogs look up?" Yeah, yes. Can dogs look up? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's... Can dogs yeah. look up? Yeah, physically, dogs they can, can look up. That is... That's something right. they could have just Googled or just stood <laughs> above a dog and made a noise. Right. It could be that this man's dog is dead and it, it just wants some indirect way of confirming this. But, I mean, you have a dog, I mean, and you've noticed it definitely yeah, she looks up. looking up. Yeah, she definitely, uh, right. she definitely looks up when there's something above her she wants. Or just right. out of well, general curiosity. Yeah, she's, she's looked up repeatedly uh, across her lifespan right. so far, and I imagine she'll continue to do it. That's, <laughs> definitely, uh, that's definitely a weapon in her arsenal, is uh, looking up. It's up there with barking. Right. Okay, I, th- I think you might be mixing, uh, Sean. You might be mixing uh, dogs up with carpets, which of course always look down. Um, this comes from Bo Jacobs. How is Margaret Thatcher doing in heaven? Was did did Sean did he stop typing there? Did he say can dog dogs look up <laughs> things on the internet? Because that's that's a more difficult <laughs> question. Yes. Um, Mostly just pictures of sauce- of humans saying sausages, I think. Um, so what was the what was the next question? Uh, yeah. So Bo Jacobs asks, "How is Margaret Thatcher doing in heaven?" Well, I guess that depends how effectively she's hiding. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say if she's there, she's doing fucking well, frankly, and she she's just got to be happy with it. Uh, this comes from uh, uh, Josie Bobsky, who asks, "Why have you not addressed the Dwight Howard penis grab?" Uh, Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, are you familiar with the Dwight Howard penis <laughs> no, grab, I'm John? Not. I'm not familiar with that. All right. All right. Okay. Well, uh, let's. Um, I'll do some. We've only just this one only just came in, so I'm now going to type uh, Dwight Howard penis grab into Google, and um... <laughs> you're going to deal with the consequences of that. I'm going to deal with the consequences of that and the uh, any legal cases that may arise. <laughs> Uh, oh, Dwight Howard grabbed his teammate's penis. That's the first thing that come uh, comes up. He's uh, it appears uh, yeah, he he grabbed Isaiah Canaan's penis. Oh, uh, 
very much. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 who is Dwight Howard, John? I mean, that, that's was that during a, a game? Crucial bit of. Uh, uh, it does does look. It does look like um, it might have been. I mean, I mean, in terms of so, what sport does he play, Dwight Howard? I'm not Dwight sure. Howard plays basketball. I, mean, I don't basketball? think there's. Maybe right. he's just found a loophole that that's not technically a foul. Right. You can grab another player's penis during the game uh, <laughs> to get leverage. Right. <laughs> um, I've, not, I've not played as much basketball as you, John. You tell me, I mean, is that is that is that strategically valid? The the, the penis grab. I a... guess it depends if you want the person not to jump as high. So I mean, but it's not something you do for your teammate. Of your teammate. Well, what is what is the tactical advantage of? <laughs> yeah. I well, I mean, why would you grab your own teammates? Maybe you wang? maybe you're I trying mean... to fling him higher, like in rugby at the lineouts. Maybe <laughs> you're trying to help him up. What kind of sling sh- slingshot him round your head? That's I mean, that's possible. I mean, basketball players notoriously have extremely elastic uh, members, so I mean, mm. it is it is possible that this was some attempt at a at a, at a sort of a, a hail mary magic shot in the in the last few seconds of a game. Anyway, thanks for bringing our attention to that, Josie Bobsky. Uh, and uh, we'll finish on 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 this one. It comes from uh, Sari Gamp. Name the actors who will play each of you in the eventual Bugle film. <laughs> Oh, Vin Diesel for me, Andy. Always Vin Diesel. <laughs> oh, I wanted Diesel. Uh, I think I'd go for... I'm trying to think of someone who's most most like me, uh, spiritually and physically. I'll probably... I think I'll probably have to go for uh, Scarlett Johansson. Nice. Uh, very much peas in a physical pod uh, for me, me and... Uh, SJ. So, and then Chris, uh, Chris, you probably, probably want Meryl yeah. Streep, don't you, Chris? Just to... uh, yeah, maybe Meryl, <laughs> but I quite like Liza Minnelli for me as well. <laughs> well, that would be great. Um, oh, actually, well, well, uh, there is uh, actually uh, on a couple more we should we should probably address. Stephen Buckley asks: On a scale of one to ten, what is your favourite colour of the alphabet? <laughs> I just like that collection of words. <laughs> what's the what's, uh, the, what's the question? <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, what is your favourite colour of the alphabet? Colour of what? <laughs> colour of the alphabet. You heard it right. Colour of the alphabet. Yep. I think he's gone. Uh, he's gone indirect on oh, this one. Oh, I see. I see. I think if you read I it see. backwards, Stephen it's is, he's having a bit of fun with like words he, there, isn't he, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. He's having a bit of fun, or possibly calling in a terrorist strike. We don't know. That could be code. And finally. Amira Ames asks, should I get a bugle tattoo? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Well, I would say, I would say yes. I mean, you know, you want to, you want to, I mean, this is, it's more than just something to listen to. It's something to have imprinted on your skin for the rest of your life. You know, and hopefully in many millennia to come, your embalmed corpse will be dug up. And people will look upon the cartoon images of me and John and think that you must have been some form of god or king. So I'd say get it. So thanks very much for your questions uh, for the Bugle uh, Q and A. Um, do keep your emails coming into info at thebuglepodcast dot com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. Sport now, and we got knocked out the f***ing World Cup, John. <laughs> oh, God. It's... Uh, 
It was England's worst ever Cricket World Cup campaign, which is a very hotly contested title, alongside, for example, Most Ostentatious Dictator, My Worst Ever Gig, Least Necessary Film Sequel, nothing personal, John, and Deadest Pterodactyl. <laughs> and England just kept kept making the same the same mistakes, using the same, the same kind of outdated tactics. And as I said, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again whilst smacking yourself in the plums with a watermelon. or It's something along those lines. Or doing the same thing again and expecting Abraham Lincoln to come back from the dead and sort things out. But basically, England did exactly the same thing. There was one uh, period in this game uh, with Bangladesh when they needed to keep scoring at a decent rate, but they got very defensive. And they played out lots of balls with no runs. That's basically a point for our American listeners scored. And when uh, a ball is scored with no run, it's described as a dot ball. That's how it's marked in the scorebook. And at one point there were three dots in a row and then a further four dots. So dot, dot, dots, dot, 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 dot. Then two more dots. And then a player had a bit of a flash at the ball, what you might call a dash of a shot. Uh, So it was basically dot, 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 dash. And in Morse code, that spelt... Shit. And that was very much the summary of England's glorious Cricket World Cup campaign. Uh, That is it for this week's uh, Bugle. We will hopefully be back uh, next week, or it may indeed be the start of the Bugle Easter break uh, for this year. Thanks very much for listening. Do come to uh, my gigs in Wellington this Sunday, if you listen to this in time, or in Australia, details at satiristforhire.com and send in your uh, satirical demands to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. Com and the Australian President, uh, <laughs> Prime Minister Tony Abbott, your old friend John, is huh. um, giving plenty of ammunition at the moment. There was a comment he made when he basically suggested that uh, Aboriginal Australians living far away from cities is a lifestyle choice <sighs> and that they cannot expect <laughs> states' benefits. It's almost like the man is trying to become so much of a <laughs> that, uh, that Australia re-elects him just to see what he does next. He, he's truly extraordinary, so um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of abbots at, uh, at the gigs. Uh, until next time, Buglers, thanks very much for listening. From the wrong side of the world, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.